heard Galatians chapter 1, we have gone as far as verse 15. It's a good time to remember to turn the ringers off our phones. We only got a few minutes in the Word of God. It goes by quickly, and we want to get settled in our seats. We want to ready our hearts to hear the Word go forth as the Lord desires to speak to you through the written Word of God. As Father, we just give you this time in the study of your Word, and we want to be free from distractions. And we want to be able to, to allow you to speak to us through your word and, Lord, through your spirit teaching us because he is the ultimate teacher. And, Lord, I pray that you would touch the heart of everyone that is here. Everyone is in this building, everyone that's listening online, uh, later on the radio. But, Lord, we just commit all this to you. We just pray for your blessing upon the teaching. And, Lord, um, and for you to encourage us uh, in every way, instruct us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we began to look at this epistle, this is Paul's first epistle that we have recorded in the New Testament. And he wrote it early in his ministry. But he's writing to the churches of Galatia. And we saw that Paul, after he gives his greeting to them, he begins to address why he was writing this letter as verse 6 that I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. There were the legalists or those who were called Judaizers. They were a sect of the Jewish Christians who did not accept the teaching of the apostle on grace, the gospel of grace, that you are saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And, of course, we read that in Ephesians chapter 2. Romans chapter 3, verse 24 declares to us that we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The Judaizers were saying, no, that's not true. They were coming in behind Paul in uh, his ministry. They were presenting another gospel. Essentially, they were saying that you Gentile Christians must come to God through faith and circumcision, and the law of Moses. We know that in Acts chapter 15, that when the, the apostles and the leadership of the church met in Jerusalem to address this whole issue of circumcision, what are we going to tell these Gentile believers? Do we tell them that they have to be circumcised? There was a sect of, of the Pharisees that got saved, and they were there at that meeting, and they were saying, yes, we must tell them that they must be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Uh, you must be one that, that you do these things. And Paul says, I marvel that you are turning away from the grace of Christ. So Paul is addressing and he is defending this whole issue of grace. The unmerited, unearned favor of God. That you are justified by faith. And those who bring this doctrine of legalism, they trouble you. And they actually pervert the gospel. We end it at verse 15. Let me read it to you of Galatians chapter 1. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. We know that uh, the apostle, as he talks about how he was called to be an apostle of grace, that was given the message of grace, called by the God of grace in his mother's womb. And Paul had a deep love for the Lord because I really 
believe, and he indicates that very clearly in his writings, that he just marveled at the grace of God that would love him and called him to ministry. He was one, as we're going to see, that, that I tried to destroy the church as we end the chapter here. He writes in other places, I was a violent man. I was a waster of the church. That God would save me by his grace. That he would use me. He called me even in my mother's womb. He knew that I would be an apostle before I was even born. And when we understand grace... What happens to you and to me is we grow in that grace that none of us here deserve the goodness and mercy and grace of God. What we do deserve, as Romans says, that the wages of sin is death. As we ponder his grace given to us, you can't help but, but just have a deep love for the Lord. As I mentioned to you last week, just briefly, that I grew up in a religious system that always trying to figure out if I had God's approval. If I was really saved, I was told that if you were baptized, if you were confirmed, if you kept the sacraments, then you're saved, you're okay. And always trying to, to figure out, you know, how is it that I can get God's approval? And it was when I walked into a church, it was actually Calvary Chapel, that the Bible was opened up and the gospel was given to me. That I understood that Christ, he proved his love for me. That while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And he died on the cross for my sins. And that I can come in faith and I can receive forgiveness of sin through the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. That I can have eternal life. And that I can be born again by the Spirit of God, born into the family of God. And it was a wonderful, wonderful thing to understand that he did the work on the cross. It's not what I do. I come, I repent, I turn to him, and I come in faith. And it is Christ alone and faith alone that saves me. So Paul here, he talks about being separated from his mother's womb. It reminds me of what God said concerning the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament. In the first chapter, in the first uh, of the chapter, in, in verse 5 actually, uh, the Lord says, Jeremiah, before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. God had called Jeremiah to be a prophet before he was even born. He, he knew and he called Paul to be an apostle, separating him from his mother's womb. It amazes me, and I marvel at it, that God knew that I would be a pastor even before I was born. You know, I was thinking last night, um, on November 1st, is going to be 30 years at least what my piece of paper has to say up on the wall in my office, that I was ordained as a pastor. And in my life, if you would have ever said that you'd be a pastor, I would have laughed at you and a lot of other people would have laughed at you as well. Just the, the journey that I was on and trying to, to grow in the Lord, I didn't think the Lord could ever use me in this way, ever. And I remember being in high school, um, I had a speech class and gave a speech. And, and they, they were always big about, back in the 70s, what you should do and take this test and what occupation. And I remember telling the teacher, yeah, maybe I want to be a teacher like you. And he, he was nice about it, but he said, you'll never be a teacher because no one can understand you. Because I had such a speech impediment. So I was thinking, okay, God can never use me, and went through college, and wasn't the best college student. And then um, after college, I was working in the Black Forest. I was living in a little cabin on 20 acres. 
and I was renting from an elderly couple that, that the agreement was I did chores for them, I pay $100 a month rent. So I remember doing that, and there's, I was always running off, and you know, I was young, I was 22, and running off, going fishing, and, and um, things like that. She called me up one time, and uh, Peggy, and she said, listen, Jeff, I'm not angry at you, but I am disappointed in you. I got a husband who's sick, who needs a lot of care. I need these things that need to be done, and you're not doing them. So we're going to try one more time. That when I ask you to do something, I want you to do it. You need to tell me when you're going to do it. You need to communicate that to me or you need to get out. And I remember walking from her house to, to my little cabin. And I remember thinking, you know, how can she talk to me that way? And by the time I actually got to my house, the Lord was just speaking to me saying, you need to quit your sniveling and you need to quit your complaining and you need to grow up. Because she's right. And the next day I, I went and, and I apologized to her. There's always those moments where you're growing, you're growing, but then there's this big leap. And, and I apologized and I said, I will be committed to you. And for the next seven years, the Lord was just working through me and teaching me to be a servant, teaching me commitment. He's, teaching, he's still teaching me a lot of things. But I didn't think I'd ever be used of the Lord. And I remember when I was asked to be a pastor, it's, you know, there was no ordination meeting and big production. It was like, okay, you know, I got nobody else. <laughs> because I would come in and I just would serve. I'd clean the bathrooms, I'd vacuum, I'd sweep the sidewalks, I'd get things ready to go. I, I would just help the senior pastor. We were a church of a little over 100 people. He said, I want you to come on. And I remember one pastor who was pretty well known, that he'd come up and you say, well, it's pastor excitement, you know, Mr. Excitement. He'd make fun of me and all this. And it was just, it was difficult. And I thought, Lord, it, I think they, they didn't think I would last very long. So by his grace, by his mercy, that he's allowed me to do this for 30 years. And he gets the glory of it. All the things that I went through and f those times of being frustrated and God preparing me for the calling that I had on my life. What he's been able to do and what a joy it has been to just allow him to do that work. And he knew that work would be before I was even born. He knew that <clears throat> there would be a Calvary Chapel that would be a part of his plan before the church even came about. And that you would be a part of that, the calling that he has given to you. I believe that God has a plan for all of my kids, and it's amazing to see that plan being worked out even as they are adults. I know that God has a plan for my little grandbaby. If he tarries. And parents, I think that verse 15 reminds us of the importance of being committed to raising your children in the ways of the Lord. You pray for them. And you don't stop. You help them and you encourage them to seek the Lord as they grow. And what God is doing in their lives, the gifts and talents that he's given to them. Encourage them that God wants to use them to be a useful vessel for his glory. 
even as Revelation chapter 4 declares to us that we are created for his good pleasures. And it is such a tragic thing in our culture and in our society, what is being taught to our kids, that they came from a a set of circumstances, of evolutionary processes, and they are a product of an animal when the truth is that they were created in the image of God. A wonderful and incredible creator that created them and loves them and wants to save them and has a plan for them. For you, God, formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb, was what David would write in Psalm 139. And I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And the apostle just marveling at the grace of God who would separate me from my mother's womb. It pleased God to do that. Who called me through his grace to reveal his son in me. And of course it would be on his way to Damascus that we read in the book of Acts chapter 9 as he's seeking to persecute the Christians there as he was known as Saul of Tarsus, the Pharisee of Pharisees. And he tried to destroy the church. And on his way, the Lord revealed himself to Saul, spoke to him and knocked him down on the ground and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord answered, I am Jesus whom you persecute. It's hard for you to kick against the goats, isn't it, Saul? We know the story. And Saul said, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Have you asked that question of the Lord? What is it, Lord, that you want me to do? Maybe it's been a long time since you've asked that question. Somebody was talking to me after second service. They said, you know, I was encouraged today, and I feel like I haven't heard from the Lord for a long time. Go to him. There's still some nice days out there. Take your Bible, take a pad, take your journal and and a pen and go out and and get alone with the Lord or into a quiet place and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Because he wants to speak to your heart. And Saul, in receiving an answer to his question, was told that he would be a chosen vessel of the Lord to hear to bear his name, that is, before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And I will show him how many things he must suffer for my namesake. And it's incredible, the work of God in our lives. He chose a man, as we talk about Paul, who grew up hating Gentiles, who persecuted the church. And now he's the apostle of grace, taking the gospel of grace to them and had a deep love for them. Some of you, you have a testimony before you came to the Lord that you didn't like people. I know I didn't like people. I, I tried to stay away from people. I didn't want to talk to them. Leave me alone in an isolated place up in my little cabin. And if I don't see anybody for the weekend because I had to work during the week, that is just fine with me. And I remember that... I was so hungry for the word of God, I would devour cassette tapes. Some of you younger people may not know what a cassette tape is. I just recently had a vehicle that still played cassette tapes. But there was no cassettes that I could play. They were all worn out and and warped. And I would devour them. And even at times at church, I'd be sitting on the steps waiting for them to open the door. 
Finally, one of them said, do you want to usher since you're here? I mean, I said, no. I did. I said, no, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to hand out your bulletins. I said, okay. So again, when I got home, the Lord said, you know, you can hand out a bulletin. You can say good morning to somebody. I said, okay, Lord. I remembered I didn't care for people. Didn't want to talk to them. Only God can change a heart. And some of you have that same testimony. You didn't care for people. You didn't have a heart for people. Because it gives us a new heart. All things become new. The old man, the old woman is, is dead. And we identify with Christ. Only God can do that work that he did in Paul and in you and me. And we know that Paul, as he continues here, he says that he called me through his grace, verse 16, to reveal his son to me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Uh, he writes, I, I didn't immediately talk with anybody. I didn't go up to Jerusalem. To those who were apostles, I went to Arabia. Arabia, if you look at the ancient maps, Arabia was that area of what is today Saudi Arabia. It's mountainous, very mountainous in that area. It's rocky, it's barren, it's hot, it's dry, very little vegetation that is there. And he says, I went to Arabia. He didn't counsel with the church leaders or, or the apostles in Jerusalem. We know that after his conversion in Acts chapter 9, it tells us that he went into the synagogue there in Damascus and he preached Christ to the Jews. They were absolutely amazed. Isn't this the same Saul who is persecuting the Christians who came up to Damascus to arrest them and take them back to Jerusalem? And now he's in our synagogue and he's preaching Christ? It tells us in Acts chapter 9 they were confounded, but they weren't converted. And Paul gives us some additional information. At that time, he would then leave. He would go to Arabia. He would then return to Damascus. In verse 18, it tells us that was a period of three years in Arabia and Damascus before he went to Jerusalem. And in that area of Arabia, as I said, it's mountainous, but it's not like the Rocky Mountains. Very dry, very barren. It's a hot place. It's an isolated place. No one is there. And it is believed that as he went to Arabia, he would be taught, Paul was, by the Lord in that desert place. It would be a quiet place. He would be in isolation. And Paul was able to spend time with the Lord and receive from the Lord. Paul was a very learned man. History tells us that he studied under Gamaliel, who was called the beauty of the law. Gamaliel, you can read about him. He's with the council in the early part of the book of Acts. And there's even references that there's a report card on Paul from Gamaliel that said that he couldn't keep Paul in enough books. He was a great scholar, Paul was. And I don't know if you realize this, but Paul had a THD or a PhD. More likely, I think he had a DD, a doctorate of the desert. Because he spent that time in the desert, learning from the Lord. He said that this gospel of grace, I didn't make it up, is not man-made. He said the Lord revealed to me directly. 
I look at the scriptures and I see those who were used so powerfully and effectively for the Lord. And I see how oftentimes they spent time in a deserted place. Moses, in the first 40 years of his life, he's in Pharaoh's palace. The scriptures tell us that he was mighty in, in deeds and in works, in, in the philosophy of, of Egypt, Egypt being a picture of the world. He was in line to be the next Pharaoh, but then he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh, rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. They said, who made you a judge over us? And he had to flee Egypt. And it took 40 years for the Lord to humble him and to get Egypt out of him. I think about Joshua. The scripture says that he was Moses' assistant in 40 years there in the desert, just quietly serving Moses. He would be at the bottom of the mountain while Moses was on top of the mountain receiving the law of God. He was one that was in the valley doing the battles against the Amalekites. He's the one that was there just serving Moses in any way that he could. And after 40 years of being in the wilderness and in that desert, the Lord said, Joshua, now you are going to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. I think about David, the young shepherd boy who was out with the sheep when Samuel came along and anointed him as the new king of Israel. And David would spend the next about 13 years of his life out there in the wilderness running for his life, running from Saul who wanted to kill him. John the Baptist a man of the wilderness out there in camel skin and eating locusts and grasshoppers and honey, that he was a man of the desert. And it's amazing how many of God's servants spent time in a dry, deserted place. And I just bring that up this morning because perhaps, perhaps, that there is somebody that is here, that you're in a dry place right now. Maybe your walk is going through some dry, difficult days. But it may be, or should I say it will be, that when you are quiet before the Lord and you desire to draw close to the Lord, that he's going to reveal to you himself, his word, what he has for you in a fresh and a powerful way. You see, after Paul's time in the desert with the Lord, it tells us he increased all the more in strength. It was Moses that would go back to Egypt. Moses was one who said, I can't go to Egypt. I stutter. Send my brother Aaron to go back. And the Lord said, I want you, Moses, to go. And he would go back and he would stand before Pharaoh and say, Thus says the Lord, you let my people go. It would be John the Baptist that all of Israel, the gospel accounts say, came out to the river to see John the Baptist, the man of the desert. This is before social media and everything else. And he said to the multitudes that, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It was David that spent so much time out there in the wilderness who became the greatest king that Israel ever had, but also... And that wilderness experience became the great psalmist of Israel. And you, as perhaps you find yourself maybe where you feel like you're in Arabia today, 
Maybe you feel isolated. Maybe you feel like no one understands, no one to talk to. Know this, it is a time for you to draw close to the Lord, not pull away from the Lord, and draw close to Him in a quietness and to wait on the Lord, to come to a greater realization and revelation of the Lord, and let the Lord work in you first so that he can work through you later as you increase in strength. And don't let anyone ever tell you that the Lord can't use you. Because he can and he will. He doesn't call everybody to be a pastor. But where he has placed you, the gifts he's given to you, to be a part of the body of Christ. John the Apostle, the youngest of the disciples that was called of the Lord, it is believed. That he saw the miracles, special occasions as he and James and Peter were, were taken by the Lord. He saw the dead raised and the transfiguration of Jesus transfigured on the mountain. He was the one that leaned against the breast of Jesus in that upper room and heard the heartbeat of deity. And he writes, I'm the one whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom the Lord loved. He would be there at Caiaphas in the, in the trial of Jesus and the religious leaders condemned Jesus and began to beat him. He's the only recorded one that was there at the cross seeing Jesus dying for his sins. And it was Jesus that spoke to John and would commend the care of his mother Mary to John. It was John that ran with Peter to see the empty tomb and he was an eyewitness of the resurrected Lord. And here he is at the end of his life. And he's being persecuted with the rest of the Christians. And he is sent to an island called Patmos. We're not talking Hawaii or Tahiti. It was a very hard, difficult place in the Mediterranean. It was tough. He was isolated. Did he wonder, Lord, why am I in this place? I am old, I've trusted in you, I've walked with you, now why this isolation, why? And he would hear the voice as of a trumpet, and he saw the resurrected Lord. And he started writing in 22 chapters of the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage anyone who is here that you might feel isolated, that you feel like you're going through your own desert experience or rocky time or isolation. And it is in those times the Lord wants to reveal himself to you like never before. You get away with him. You open up your heart to him to hear the voice of the Lord that you will come as you do that into a greater revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's what happened with Paul in those years of being in that Arabian desert. Well, we continue here in verse 18. We read that then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So after being in the desert of Arabia, Paul would return to Damascus and then go back to the synagogue to preach Christ to them. And in Acts chapter 9, it tells us that they responded this time to, to Paul by saying, you know what, Paul, we're going to kill you. And Paul had to escape in the cover of night in a basket as he was lowered over the wall 
as he was let down. He had to run from Damascus. But as that basket was lowered, I'm sure that his heart sank. His heart was lowered. He was let down in his heart. I wonder that after three years of being in the desert, receiving the revelation of Jesus Christ, if he came back to Damascus and increased in strength, is what the scripture says, if he was thinking, hey, wait till they hear me now, what I've got to share. And when he does share, they respond by saying, we're going to plot against you. We're going to kill you, Paul. We're going to take your life. Have you ever been excited about what you have to share about Christ to others and you're growing in the word and you feel like I can answer their questions or I can defend concerning the faith I I have confidence now and clearly given the gospel and you share and you share and they may be even impressed with your knowledge of the Bible you know some Bible they may be confounded but they're not converted and even over time they respond by saying, we're going to come against you. They respond more harshly and negatively to you than ever before. And what can happen in those times, and I think a lot of us experience, our heart begins to sink, and we wonder, Lord, will I really be used of you to make a difference in people's lives? I felt like I was ready. Why aren't they getting it? I've been studying. I've been growing. Why aren't people listening to me? Why aren't they responding to me? And you let down, and over time you begin to think, I'm going to be a basket case. Paul has such a love for his countrymen. In the book of Romans, he would write that, I wish that I myself were a curse for their salvation. I can relate to them. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And now I've got the truth. I've been studying for three years, and now they want to kill me, and he had to flee to Damascus. If you flipped over in your Bible a couple pages, you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and Paul writes about that experience of being let down in a basket in the cover night at Damascus to, to, you know, to, to escape those who were wanting to kill him. And he writes about that experience in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, And he writes and he says, If I boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. What was Paul saying in that? You see, that event was the very first hardship that Paul would experience as a Christian. One who dedicated his life to giving the gospel. It would mark that what would be the rest of his days, what he would go through, the persecution, the trials, the difficulties as a minister of the gospel. And he writes about it further in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 the tribulations and sufferings that he went through for the sake of Christ. And even after he writes that, he would go through much more. He says, I was whipped five times. He says, I was beaten with rods. I was in prison. I was hungry. You know, all the tribulations and difficulties and those who wanted to rob me and things like that. He went through so much for the sake of Christ. But you see, that event in Damascus, Paul went there full of power. He went there with authority. He initially went there to arrest Christians, and he would leave Damascus after his conversion, humbly in a basket under the cover of night. And he would, listen, in the rest of his life, learn to live and minister in the Lord's strength and power, not his own. All of us have to learn that. 
Because what can happen is we can get very confident in our own abilities rather than God's ability and strength and power working in us. And we have to learn that the Lord is the one that calls us and then he works through us. And what will happen is that he gets the credit there. What can happen if we don't learn that is we start saying, well, they're responding, you know, my ministry is being blessed because of my expertise. It's all my training. I'm not saying that we shouldn't study or have training or any of those things, but we can start to rely on that. I hear guys that teach, and they like to talk about how, you know, they went to this seminary, they went to that, they studied in my diligence and my great personality. But you see, the Lord wants us to depend on him. And it is in those times that people don't respond to us, and there will be those times as we present the gospel to them. Or ministering isn't, ministry is not working out the way that we had hoped. You're let down in discouragement and disappointment. Don't be. Listen, don't. And don't give up. Don't give up. But let the Lord continue to work in you. And to come to that place where I won't boast in me. I'm going to boast in you, Lord, and in my affirmities, because I'm not going to quit, Lord. I know it's going to be tough. I know there's going to be some disappointments. And I know people are going to come against me. But if there is any fruit in my life and in the, my ministry to others, Lord, you get the glory, not me. And I'm going to keep running my race and fighting the good fight and keeping the faith. So Paul would then go to Jerusalem where he would see Peter and James for a short time. And the apostle really was held out at arm's length by the other apostles, the leadership in, in Jerusalem. They're going, really? You're the one that persecuted the church very heavily right here in Jerusalem. They weren't so sure. It was Barnabas that came to them and said, listen, his conversion is real. And as we finish the chapter, now concerning the things which I spoke to you, indeed before God, I do not lie. Afterwards, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only he who formerly uh, persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. When Paul came to Jerusalem, he would go into the synagogue there. This time he goes into the synagogue where the Hellenist Jews were, those with a Greek background. And they responded there in Jerusalem by, we're going to kill you, Paul. And nobody at that time in Paul's life was really receiving him. The believers were afraid of him. The apostles weren't receiving him. Uh, the unbelievers, the Jews, wanted to kill him again in Jerusalem. So in the book of Acts, it tells us that the brethren took him to the coast, put him on a boat so he could go back to Tarsus. And there he spent some time, scholars say, about seven years there as he was in Tarsus. And guess what he was doing? He was learning to make tents. Sewing, making tents, cutting fabric. Probably wondering, here I am, a scholar of scholars. Here I am, taught by the Lord. Here I am making tents in this place. Lord, are you going to use me? But the Lord was teaching him and growing him. He was unknown to most of the Christians. And then revival breaks out in Antioch, Assyria. And Barnabas comes to Paul and says, come, come teach these 
Gentile Christians, these new believers, and then the missionary journeys would start. And Paul oftentimes would support himself by how? Making tents. God was preparing him. Listen, I want to leave you with this thought. That whether you feel isolated or you're in a place where I'm just making tents, that God is always working. He may not be working in a way that you think or should be or in the timing that you think he should be, but he is working. He hasn't forgotten about you. Here's the apostle that really wanted to preach to his countrymen. It's not working out, not being received by the Christians, but yet God was doing a wonderful work to get him to go to the Gentiles and for him also to grow in his love for people and to do it with humility. You know what Saul, Saul of Tarsus, you know what Saul, his name means? The ask for one. The requested one. The man in demand. You know, he, he was the one of great reputation in Judaism. The Lord said, you're now going to be called Paul, which means little. To go from the man in demand, I'm a scholar, I, you know, was so zealous for my religion to Paul, little, because I have no confidence in the flesh. But I boast only in God's grace and goodness. And as David would write 3,000 years ago in Psalm 138, that I know that the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. See, a work that oftentimes he wants to do, I think it's a lifelong work. He wants to take us from Saul to Paul to little. To one who's depending on the Lord and looking to the Lord. Okay? Let him do that work in you and through you. Don't quit. Don't pull away from the Lord. Continue on with him. And as you do, you're going to get a fresh revelation of the Lord. And you encourage your children that God wants to use them, has a wonderful plan for them. And you keep praying for them. You watch, you wait, you see. Because he's faithful. He wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think. Just trust in him. One of the best things that I did was just put away my agendas, put away all that stuff and say, Lord, I have you today. Whatever it is that you want to do in my life, I just trust you. And you just lead me. And I want to continue to do that in the days ahead. Look to him. Okay? He'll be faithful. And you'll see him working in a wonderful way. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for... Paul's testimony that is an encouragement to us. And I thank you that, Lord, that we can just trust you with our lives and what you're doing. Even when we find ourselves in a deserted place, isolated place, in a difficult place, you haven't abandoned us. You're going to perfect that which concerns us. And we can trust in that and rest in your love. So I pray for the one who is here that maybe has felt left, let down in their hearts. 
just frustrated or whatever, that they don't have to be. That there's always that preparation. Even as we see in the book of Leviticus, there was the preparation of the priest before the presentation for ministry. And not to give up. When people don't respond to us in the way we think. But Lord, to rest in your love, trust in the work that you're doing, where you've placed us, the gifts you've given to us, to be a vessel for you. And I pray for those right now that may be thinking, Lord, what would you have me to do? That you would speak to them clearly as they get away in that quiet place because you want to show it to them day by day, moment by moment. Father, I also want to pray for the one who is here that maybe perhaps has not turned to you through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for salvation, for forgiveness. You may be trying to be religious. You may be trying to be a good person, earn the approval, the the love of God. Listen. He loved you so much he went to the cross that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You will never be good enough. None of us. That's why we need Jesus who went and died on that cross for you, took atonement for your sins and rose from the grave. And the Bible says to repent. The Bible says quit going the direction you're going and turn to him for salvation, forgiveness, to come into the family of God to have right relationship with the Father it's in Him alone He is the way will you come and sincerely in your heart turn to Him give your life to Him Jesus said whoever loses their life will find it to come to the cross and ask for forgiveness You can do that right now where you are. Forgive me, Jesus. I believe that you died for me, the Son of God, and you're alive. Thank you for dying for me, a sinner. Be my Lord and Savior. You're my hope. You're my Lord. You're my salvation. Thank you for bringing me into the family of God forgiven me and making me a new creation. I want to know you and walk with you. To grow in strength, in your strength, in your wisdom, your power. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. For all of us as we leave this place. That Isaiah declares that as we go to you, Lord, and as we wait on you, that you will speak to us that this is the way, walk in it. That we would be sensitive to the still small voice of the Lord. To get away with you, spend time with you, to allow you to reveal yourself to us more clearly, deeper than ever before. For us to be a light in this dark world. 
So, Lord, I thank you for this morning. Bless your people as we go our way. 